Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I hope you got a chance to listen to Peter Wimberger talk with me last week on the Bird Banter Podcast, episode number 30. I had a blast. I went up to the Slater Museum and talked with Peter and learned about some things that I did not expect to learn about. I learned about dirty white breasts and old specimens and how they relate, correlate well with the amount of coal being burned in those various eras before and after the World Wars and after the Clean Air Act. I learned about beaver dam ecology. Beaver dam ecology? Pretty cool stuff. Ice worms. Do you know anything about ice worms? Peter talks about ice worms. Check it out. This week, I get even a little more exotic talking with John Patton Moss. John is a recent college graduate doing summer work in his, in his profession, but is planning in 2020 a unicycle big year. You may remember Dorian Anderson in episode number five. Dorian of the Biking for Birds big year in 2014, he, he rode 17,830 miles, that's 49 miles a day, saw 614 species, uh, and visited 28 states in a big year starting in Boston, going south across the south of the country, up all the way to Washington, back down through Colorado, a huge big year. And uh, he uh, had a great time and made quite a story. Uh, John is going to do an analogous big year next year on a unicycle. Think about it, riding a unicycle across the country trying to do birding. Now, when I talk with John, I learned that on a unicycle, on a bicycle, you have to pay attention. But on a unicycle, you really have to pay attention. Very unforgiving. One bump in the road, bang, you're on your face. So it's going to be hard for him to be seeing birds while he's driving. He's going to have eyes on the road, not looking at much else. He also can't go quite as fast. A unicycle, think about it, a bicycle can coast. When you're riding on a bicycle, you know, it's got the chain and the derailleur and everything. And when you're going down a hill, you just kind of rest and go down the hill. On a unicycle, there are no gears. You just pedal faster, pedal slower. So going down a hill... If you're going down a hill, those wheels are going to go really fast. And so you can, there's a limit as to how fast you can coast down. You can go down hills because you can't really coast. Uh, so he's going to be limited in how fast he can go. It's going to limit his uh, birding time. Uh, but it will be pretty extraordinary to do a birding big year on a unicycle traveling all the way across the country. I think he's going to start in Washington, up near where I live, and go south across the bottom, across the south part of the country, all the way to Georgia where he lives. And I can't wait to read and hear about that trip. Uh, but you get a little preview today when I talk with John Patton Moss on the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 31. Help me welcome John Patton Moss. John, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me, Ed. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast these past few weeks. Happy to be on here. Well, that's, that's good. I, you have my best Southern drawl yet, too. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even but, notice it, but I'm down here in yeah. the heart. Hard of the side, yeah, so. <laughs> very good, very good. So, John, I, I know the reason I got a hold of you is because I heard about this 2020 unicycle big year. But before we start with that, I want to hear two stories. I want to hear your birding story, how you got started as a birder and, and, and that. And I want to hear your unicycle story. So pick whichever one you want to go with first. Well, I guess I'll go chronologically because the unicycle story actually goes back further. Okay. Interestingly enough, I was introduced to both hobbies by my same uncle. You know oh. how people have like cool uncles? Yeah. Yeah, that's well, great. My, yeah. My mom's brother has some eccentric hobbies. Among them are unicycling and birding. And now, now, birding's not eccentric. I mean, <laughs> just teasing. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. definitely gaining traction and popularity 
and it's, yeah. it's becoming a normal pastime, but it attracts eccentric people, I guess I should say. I, 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 I'm fine. I was just kidding. Okay. So he, I don't know what it was about this unicycling business that appealed to me, but I think at the time he was doing unicycling races or attempting them, and okay. I just looked up to him. So I actually was gifted a unicycle for Christmas in middle school and took to it, and I've just kind of explored it in different ways ever since, riding a little bit on the trails, doing some off-road unicycling, and I have uh, recently purchased purchased a giraffe which is like one of those circus ones that's five feet tall oh oh my goodness <laughs> like it's a unicycle totally on stilts a unicycle it's, on stilts exactly that <laughs> exactly do you have a clown do you have a clown outfit to go with it you know what's funny is i don't, I don't even know how to juggle like i have not acquired <laughs> those other circus skills so i could not make it in that industry okay okay anyway so you've got several unicycles You've got a mountain unicycle. I saw some. I saw a video somebody made of you, one of your college uh, classmates or another yeah. person of your college made, and that was pretty cool. Uh, I'll put yeah. a link to that in the podcast notes, but that was pretty cool. And oh, awesome. uh, so you have a mountain, a mountain unicycle, and it sounds like you have a touring unicycle. I do. I uh, from my uncle purchased. It's thirty six inches. The tire is thirty six inches tall, so mm-hmm. that thing can move pretty quickly. How, fa- how fast do you go? I've been riding I mean, around here at about 12 miles per hour. So that's sort of um, like a bicycle. That's a comfortable pace on a bicycle. 12, 14 yeah. miles an hour is, is going pretty good. No, it totally is. The only thing about it is that I do not have the power to coast. So oh. because there's so, no oh, gears. It, so there's a, no gears. It's just ones. Oh, so you can, yeah, feet have to. So you can't go 30 miles an hour down a hill. You, you, Right, jacking so, your knees into your into your jaw. <laughs> no doubt. So twelve is really about my max. Oh, okay. So you're definitely uh, going to probably cover less miles in a day than maybe a touring bicycle. Oh, yes, sir. So what's what's a if you're on a trip across the country, which you're planning on doing? What, how far would you go in a, a good day that's not too hilly? I think a good day I could expect. As many as 40 miles, but 30 may be a more reasonable estimate. Okay. Um, so half or two-thirds of what a, a, a bicyclist could probably, uh, uh, other than a crazy Ironman bicyclist, could right. maintain on, a, on an average day. So it'll take you a little longer to get across the country, but it sounds like it, you can do it. It totally will. And the thing about it, the way I'm picturing it, is I'll have kind of days of travel interspersed with days of birding. So... Right. I don't exactly plan to make long rides on a daily basis. Uh-huh. So you'll take a good part of the year. Just to, You're going to basically go from Washington down the coast and across to Georgia somehow or other? That's Yes, sir. Just like that. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Do you have special things you're looking forward to uh, on your route? Uh, special, you know, can't miss places? So the Pacific Northwest in particular, I've never visited. Mm-hmm. I've only been briefly to Southern California and realistically bird wise, I, I could probably get everything in Northern California that I could get in mm-hmm. Washington or Oregon. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There are a few, but yes. In yeah, January, but, uh, you can pretty much. Yeah. 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 I guess so. 
But, you know, that's just a whole part of the country I haven't really experienced. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that and visiting some new states, seeing new people, new places. And yeah. I haven't been to Arizona since 2017. And, of course, that's okay. the birders' paradise. So it's hard it not is. to look forward to that. When do you expect to be around there, give or take, in the year? Are you thinking April or? That's right. Yeah, late April, early May. That's the goal. Okay. Uh, so you'll, you'll be taking three or four months, probably four months to get down. You'll have plenty of time in California and places like that. And then a, a wicked trek across the desert to get to uh, oh, Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, I've been warned about Western Texas in particular in terms of yeah. desert riding. It is a long, long <laughs> ways. I, yeah. I, did, I did a trip with my kids once. We used to take uh, uh, adventures on spring break in April. Uh, one of the adventures we took was I looked for cheap airplane flights and we flew to El Paso. And then we yeah. drove from El Paso to Big Bend. Oh, oh my, my gosh. goodness. That, I mean, it seems like it doesn't look very far. It's like eight hours at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's a long ways. Uh, yeah, that that isolation is is special, though. I mean, the stars there, right? They're, you cannot beat them. It should be great. Are you going to camp out a lot along that route, or are you going to look for hotels everywhere? How are you going to do that? I, I'm going to try to avoid camping, actually, especially in the early part of the year. Yeah, and it'll, be, it'll be wet up here for sure. Oh, yeah, I bet. And just uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, I just recently registered for an application called Warm Showers. You might have heard of oh, okay. it. It's like a, I have not. It's Cross-country or long-distance bikers use it. It's a free application, no strings attached. People open their houses to you to stay for oh, a day or two. That's terrific. Yeah. yeah that'll be really helpful. Really helpful. I, Getting plugged into those kind of communities is is really uh, helpful. And getting plugged into the birding community should be really helpful too. I think you can work that. You've got a few months, and you know this will be a start. Maybe a few people listen yeah. to me, and maybe you can find some other uh, other uh, people to get the word out. I would think Facebook groups and that sort of thing would be a way you could uh, hook up with birders. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to stay at a birder's house and have them get you out in the morning. You know, if you're going to really do a no motorized transportation year, that'll, you know, you need to kind of find places to stay near where you want to burn. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm very appreciative of you for, for reaching out as part of the birding community. And yeah, I hope to expect more, tell me more about friends your to be made along the way. Yeah. Tell me about your birding experience. You're obviously pretty avid. Uh, how did you get started in birding and, and what's been your birding experience? So I, I guess I got started pretty early. I was about 15 teenage years. So mm-hmm. I got pretty serious in about 2012. I was lucky enough to go to a Georgia birding camp. Okay. You know how there's like those. Is that like an, those, auto, is that an Audubon put, camp or is that a state camp or? It's put on by the State Department of Natural Resources, Georgia. Oh, okay. Way cool. It, it's, it was a really cool experience. I think, from what I understand, similar to the ABA youth birding camps, but not run affiliated. Yeah, run by the state. Nice. And I remember going into that camp. I was a novice and being surrounded by younger birders who, who knew more than me. Like, 
I was being corrected about saying Canadian goose, that sort of thing. So I had the interest at that point, but meeting people that were serious about looking for birds, listing my first introduction to eBird was at that time. And just like the whole birding community opened up to me at at Camp Talon as it does. I mean, it's just a, it's a welcoming group of people. You said you were around, you would have been what around late teens, mid teens by then, something like that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so you've uh, obviously gotten around, you've been to Arizona uh, and Georgia. Georgia is a great place to bird. Have you done any pelagics out of uh, Hatteras yet? I haven't. My pelagic birding is, is weak. I really haven't done much of anything. Um, and unfortunately, I won't be doing that next year, so that'll have to come later right. on, I think. Yeah, it'd be hard to roll a boat out 30 miles, so that would <laughs> No doubt. I, I don't think one of those duck boats with the pe- pedals, that probably wouldn't work either. No, it wouldn't fly. <laughs> yeah. And Georgia anyway. Pelagics, they have been, they were a strong thing in the past couple of years, but they've kind of petered out due to lack of interest. There's usually... I feel like with pelagics in Georgia, there's one or two people really driving them. Yeah, or North Carolina. Maybe, North Carolina is the place. I'm sorry. North Carolina, that. you're right. That's yeah. That's where you get your white faced petrels and stuff. Yeah, you get the good ones out there. I'm hoping next spring, maybe, maybe I'll get on the trip, one of those trips, if I can yeah. muster up the energy to go. I just I had a really nice pelagic trip last a week ago Saturday. Uh, oh and, man. Uh, got out of Washington. It was really fun. Really. But you were not in Washington? I'm in Washington. I, I went out of Westport, which is the main place uh, pelagic trips go out of here. And uh, okay. Westport Seabirds. So Westport Seabirds has a terrific, uh, terrific pelagic uh, birding experience. And boy, it was really cool. It was really and August cool. is a good time to be out there? August is a great time to be out there. Oh, cool. Uh, in, in August, in August uh, a lot of the Arctic breeding birds are migrating south. So it's when we get our long-tailed jagers. Uh, and uh, shirt-tailed shearwaters and things like that. It's also when a lot of the southern birds, southern breeders are uh, doing a post-breeding dispersal north. So you can get birds that belong in San Diego. You can get strips murrelet, lupe murrelet, you can get things like that, which are just crazy birds that get up here for us. And uh, that's really good. Do you have any surprises? Uh, We got a flesh-footed shearwater, which is not a surprise. It belongs around here. But it, uh, but it's just really hard to find, really hard to find. So that was kind of a surprise, uh, and uh, but got all the things we were hoping. So it was a really good trip. So anyway, I get off of myself. I should be talking about you. Uh, I'm excited. So, you, so you went to a birding camp, and what what sort of birding have you done since then? Well, I've I've gotten plugged in pretty good with a little group of young birds in Georgia, about my age, college age, and I ran around with two of them. That was the road trip to Arizona two okay. years ago and i mean it just knocked our socks off we were <laughs> that's we a felt, serious road trip yeah it was we felt so free we called the trip operation 250 we had the goal <laughs> of breaking 250 species from georgia to arizona oh i bet you did that we did we made it yeah. to 250 I mean, you almost could do that in a week in arizona it seems like it's uh, oh yeah yeah Definitely. I ended just shy of 200 in Arizona. We spent yeah. about two weeks there. Very cool. And you were there in the, sp- in the spring, I'm assuming. 
I, we were we timed it a little late just based off of school. We were there in mid to late June. Okay. Yeah, that's not it, so it was heating up for sure. Yeah. A little early for the post monsoon specialty. But uh yes. so you get all, all the breeding birds. Terrific. Yes, Good we breed. did. And some bonuses. Yeah, I bet. What what kind of bonuses did you get? Uh well at that time slate throated red start was being seen. Mm -hmm. Um, so we ended up getting that bird and my buddy's got brief looks at, at flame colored tanager. And unfortunately I was about 20 yards down the trail. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. That's a <laughs> but tough we one. got buff colored night jar. Oh, which, wow. Yeah. We so you went down, that. To down to California Gulch? Sure. Oh, we did. We, that is a that's rattling a road. road. That is a heck of a road, isn't it? friend of mine and I went made two tries down that road for it and missed it both nights. It was like, oh, my gosh. I will not be riding that on the unicycle, I can promise you. Yeah. yeah. Going down would be horrible and going up would be impossible, I would say. Yeah. Especially at, at night. Not a good choice, yeah. Anyway, there'll be plenty of hills along the way. You'll find fun. Sure. Yeah, and that's the thing is I really haven't seen the landscape of the west or the Pacific Northwest, so they're, they're going to – there's going to be a learning curve, and I plan to get out a few days before January 1st. Good. Yeah, well, if you do, look me up, and uh, we'll get you around Washington in a motorized vehicle and find you a bunch of Yeah. Them. Get a lay <laughs> of the land. Yeah, that'd be good. So you've been birding. You've really gotten in a, in a local birding uh, group of, uh, of like-aged uh, birders. That's great. And you've uh, right. made, made, made some trips uh, out of state. So you're, you're getting along in your birding career already, so that's good for you. Yeah, and and I've been lucky to participate in, in sort of citizen science stuff too, like most birders do. Christmas bird counts has been a great tradition right. that I've gotten plugged into. And the thing is, with birders, the more people you meet, the more doors open up. So I've done some sure. shorebird counts in Georgia and uh, did a big day this year in, in spring. That was a lot of fun. That is great. Yeah, I, I state, guess I've never a, had a, a state, a state big level. day, county big day, state level. So you really got around. Yeah, those are huge undertakings. No doubt, it was it was my first big attempt at a twenty four hour big day, mm -hmm. and I uh, was oh. doing a spring migration count the day before, so I was already worn out. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that can that can wear you down. But you, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, that's what I'm banking on. So uh, you're, you're basically undertaking this big year. I think you told me you're going to start right around where I live in near Tacoma, Washington. The, the, you know, that yeah. area you talked about possibly going to Nisqually, which would be very doable. Yeah, I feel strong about that. I, I think that would be a good start to the year, especially if, if nice that, yeah, the, the trip that you mentioned, uh, if that walk goes out on January 1st. Uh, yeah, I, seemed... I, I put you in touch with Shep. I, I, Shep Thorpe, he was a guest on a previous podcast. He does that, this wildlife refuge walk every Wednesday, and that is the first, but I don't know if they're going to do it on, on New Year's Day or they might. So cool. So you, you're doing that. Uh, tell me a little more about unicycling. I, what on earth prompted you to decide to ride across the country on a unicycle? It just seems inhumanely difficult. <laughs> yeah that that's a good way to put it um <laughs> i think maybe one of the things that appeals to it uh that draws me to unicycling is that 
it's so unusual. And when people witness it, it, it seems to kind of bring a smile to their face and, you know, break up the normal day-to-day routine. And <laughs> there's just something cool about, yeah, something cool about doing something that is not a very uh, routine action. So I like that For about sure. unicycling. And also just like the challenge of it. Like I've always loved riding bikes, but with unicycling, I feel like there's this different level of awareness. You have only one tire, so there's very little forgiveness in the choices that you make. So you're like, you're keenly aware of what's in front of you and in the road, sort Mm -hmm. of like in birding, you know, it puts you in touch with your surroundings a little better. Riding unicycle does the same thing. I'm guessing you don't do a lot of sky watching while you're birding, while you're riding. (laughs) You're not oh, going to no. get a lot of high-flying hawks while you're riding the unicycle. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. If you if you have a lapse in concentration, you can be on the ground before you even know it. I bet. So what kind of gear are you going to be able to take? I, I mean, are you going to have a camera, a scope, just binos? How are you going to pack? I have no idea what a touring unicycle can take for you know, a, uh, you know, a load. Yeah, it, it can't take much, and that's really where this planning the next few months is going towards uh, I plan on having a backpack and for clothes necessities sorts of things right but in terms of birding gear I just invested in the in some Nikon Monarchs they're like the lightest mm-hmm. yeah they are a nice uh, light pair good yeah they're like 20 grams for 8 by 42s which is what I'm accustomed to right so I'm going with that and then I do I, I know I have to have a scope at least for the coastal portions and the scope mm-hmm. that I have at the moment, I believe is, is a little too heavy. Yeah. I would think so, you'd want a 60 millimeter scope. Probably they, they, they do make some tiny ones. Yeah. That's, that's a, a lane that I need to investigate light tripods and light scopes. And I figure to alleviate the weight of camera, maybe I'll just go with the phone scoping mount. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a, you might even get a unipod. You know, I've seen oh. people use just a unipod, just holding it, and for a scope. Like it. Yeah, I mean, it, you I can't have... set it up, but it will hold the scope still enough. I think that you could try it out. Maybe I've never considered that. I feel like, I mean, for quick spotting, absolutely, and for photographing, but I don't maybe know. scanning a flock of shorebirds would be tricky. Yeah, I think it would. I I I, I don't know how super critical weight is good yeah so you're so going to be cruising go with probably your phone for a camera and uh and excuse me and some binos and maybe a scope uh and uh, maybe you can just arrange to meet people who have a scope too that might be the yeah thing. one of my friends suggested that to me as well and that could that could work out um recently i actually talked to dorian anderson who i Right. You know, you, right. you mentioned in your big year post that you interviewed Super nice him. guy. Super nice guy, yeah. He was extremely helpful. He talked to me on the phone. I just emailed him out of the blue, and he offered me so much great advice. And one of the things that he told me that he did was he shipped his tripod to certain destinations based on his oh, need. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. I, I would never have thought of that. So if you're just going to be cruising along – Places where you won't need a scope for, you could probably ship your scope and tripod, maybe. Yeah. And the same thing with any gear, really, with clothing. Sure. You know, yeah. moving into well, warmer I, climates. I would think, uh, you know, just 
wearing one or two outfits till you wear out and buying another one and throwing that one away, you know. Doing <laughs> yes. On yes, the that sounds so Pretending you're on the lamb and can't carry anything, you know, and just gotta buy an outfit, wear it out, and buy a new one. <laughs> That's what thrift stores are for. Yeah, I'm sure as as the days wear on, I'll be t- more and more tired of weight, and we'll be looking for ways to lessen, lighten the load. That is super exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. So you you're you just fit graduated college this past year, is that correct? That is correct. In May, recent graduate. Yeah, and you you had a, a some sort of a biology based uh, or you know, environmental biology sort of based major. What did you major in, and what what sort of career path are you thinking about? Pretty much like you put it, it was environmental science with a focus in biology. And the career path I'm looking towards is habitat management. So kind of like looking at the whole system, the plants, animals, and then like the non-living components and managing them for biodiversity, I think is is a great way to make a difference. Very cool. Maybe you can get a job with the the nature conservancy, going scoping out properties they're looking at. Sounds like a dream job, doesn't it? <laughs> I definitely respect the Nature Conservancy and, and think they do very good work. <laughs> I mean, Ramsey yeah, Canyon, for sure. case in point. Yeah, for sure. There's innumerable places. Yeah. yeah. There are also all sorts of land trusts around, too. We have, I don't know if you have those in Georgia, but here we have lots of land trusts. Uh, this is the Squally Land Trust. Each region seems to have a land trust that tries to acquire critical properties and put them into trust for nature. Are they good birding? Do you ever get out and bird them? Uh, a lot of them are off limits, really. Uh, oh. but, but some of them, some of them have been, yes. A lot of them, the Nature Conservancy, I think their model, I, 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 I could be way off here, but I think their model is to acquire properties and then distribute them to other organizations that will manage and take care of them. Uh, so I don't know if land trusts do the same thing, but... Uh, like the Nature Conservancy might find a critical area and just, they're nimble, they've got cash, they acquire the property, and then they say, okay, well, maybe the state uh, Audubon Society will manage this, or maybe a local, uh, it be a Yeah, yeah they, they try to find good stewards of properties that they rescue. Yeah, they're like the first ones to take action. Yeah, they, they can be, they don't, they're not governmental, they don't have to have a vote, they can just make it happen. So I think that's yeah. their, that's their niche, and then they, and I don't think they like to particularly hold properties a long time. They like to uh, donate them to good stewards. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of good birders in the Nature Conservancy, even. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like-minded my, people. My biggest experience with them: they own more than half of Santa Cruz Island. Uh, so, if you oh, wow. ever get a chance to go up to the scrub jay, you'll probably be on or near Nature Conservancy. Oh, that's too neat. So you have uh, aspirations for a career uh, in habitat management, conservation sort of thing. Uh, I think you, you mentioned that you had a summer job doing something like that or have a summer job. Doing what are you doing now? So I'm currently in Newton, Georgia at an ecological research center. It's called Joseph Jones Ecological Center at Itchaway. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a very unique site. It's 30,000 acres of mature longleaf pine savanna. So... When you think about like southeastern pine specialists like red cockaded woodpecker, Bachman sparrow, sparrow, sure, yeah, um, loggerhead shrike, this is what they like, and these sorts of um, expanses of this rare habitat are really unusual. So, 
I'm currently down here working a seasonal position as a technician in the plant ecology lab. And it's, okay. I'm learning a lot. Uh, that's for sure. I'm seeing a lot and learning a lot. So uh, tell me, uh, I want to uh, kind of just wrap up a little bit. You're from Georgia. What are some of your favorite birding spots near home? First of all, where in Georgia are you from? I'm sorry, miss. I'm from the east part of Georgia, from Augusta, the okay. golf capital. Yeah, near Augusta. Okay. What sort of places near home or near that area should birders know about that might be less well known about? Not in every I grew up going to a place called Fantasy Swamp Nature Park, which is, it's almost like your classic wastewater treatment plant situation, uh-huh. but it's got better access. It's been kind of taken over by a nature mm-hmm. center. Um, a lot of constructed wood, wetlands and natural wetlands and woodlands, mm-hmm. um, place that I frequented a lot in Augusta, but one of Georgia's most precious gems is its coastline. It's just, oh, yes. there's some really wide swaths, swaths of undeveloped land on the coast. And you may have mangrove, heard the statistic. Dear. No mangroves make it into Georgia. It's okay. um, predominantly salt marsh. And a third of okay. Atlantic salt marshes are in Georgia, which is an outrageous oh, number. Yeah, yeah. they... they, they didn't get destroyed before people started thinking. Yeah. I'm sure that's the So reason. I would I would recommend the Georgia coast. Sounds great. Above all. Sounds great. So if people want to reach out to you uh, and, you know, help you along in your big year or touch bases with you, how can they get a hold of you? So I, uh, first and foremost, email, I guess. Unfortunately, I haven't really gotten into the social media scene. And I don't know if I'm down for that going into the big year, but I've been trying to work on blogging. So okay. I can definitely share a link to uh, my blog with you. I have my first post today. Okay. And what's that? What's that going to be called? It's called "2020: The Vision One Year One Wheel." Okay, great. That's a long website yeah. name, but I can oh yeah, it's that. a multi-part I'll, I'll have you title. Me, I'll I'll look that up and make sure I link to that in the podcast notes. That's cool. You'll probably have a contact uh, button on that page or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, so maybe just through the blog would be the best way to contact. Okay. I, I recommend setting up a Facebook page. I mean, that's, yeah. that's how that's how birders communicate in terms of groups. You know, there'll be a birding group for everywhere you're going, and you can reach out to people in the group. That would be really a good, a good uh, way for you to meet people along the way and, and to make plans organized. Yeah. Even, and if I... you, even if you don't like social media, it's a tool. No doubt. And I heard on one of your latest podcasts that WhatsApp is taking off. I would love for that to happen by the it time is. I'm. Do you use WhatsApp a lot? I, 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 yeah, I, I use it. My daughter lives in Costa Rica. I use WhatsApp to message with her because it's just really nice to hear her voice <laughs> once in a while. Yes. And it's hard, hard. To, she doesn't even have a telephone a lot of times where she's living. So I leave her a nice WhatsApp message and I get a nice WhatsApp message back. It's really cool. Uh, but I know that it's got many utilitarian uses that I'm just scratching. This. And it's simple, and it's just a good interface. Well, good. Well, John, thank you so much for being my guest today. It was really nice to talk to you. I will make sure that I uh, leave links to your website. And uh, would you like me to put your email address on the on the thing? Or maybe they find that on the website. That would be yeah, absolutely. To, Include the email address if... Yeah, I, I hate to put email. I can put it somewhere that I'll put it in such a way that you won't get spam. 
Okay. <laughs> that, that's good. Anyway, to know. <laughs> good, good. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You have a great rest of the year. Good luck with your planning. And if there's any way I can be helpful, reach out. Yeah, thank you, Ed. I hope to see you next year. Really, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks so much for listening. That wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 31, The John Patton Moss. Please leave a review on the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Leave a rating also if you can. Check out birdbanner.com where I'll have a website blog post that correlates with this episode with some extra links and extra information. But until next time, thanks for listening. Good birding. Good day. <laughs>